Ready? Wasn't it nice having the three ladies leading us in, in music today? That was just great. Yeah. I'm uh, Pastor Lon, and I hang out at the uh, church in West Chicago most of the time. Uh, let me get my stopwatch right. You'll be really happy I did. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I, I helped uh, the Pastor Will start this church, and one of our practices is we have what we call teaching teams. So we try to let our, our lead pastor at each of our three congregations be able to have occasional times when they're not preaching, when they can just sit and receive, or even attend another church where they can learn what's going on. And that's uh, what Will has given today, so we're so glad for that for him. All right, a couple of things just before I start the message. Uh, first of all, it was mentioned that I have just finished this new book on Billy Graham, and we sold over 500 of them at the main campus the last two weeks. I wrote this book not knowing that Mr. Graham was going to die uh, when he did this year. I worked with him for 15 years, and so a publisher had come to me in like September and said, would you consider writing a book on Billy Graham, and we're going to release it the following November, which had been November 2018, because he'll turn 100 years old. But God decided that he got to go home to heaven at 99. And so we, we rushed it to print, and it is out now. And um, um, the reason I, I hate marketing uh, my own stuff, but the reason I wrote this book is so that people that have some interest in who was this man that had such an impact, not only on religion, but America and the world, what made him tick? And so, although I tell the story of Billy Graham in a simple way, his biography, in almost every chapter I bridge right away to Jesus, because I intend this to be an evangelistic book to help people know they can know God. And so that's why it means so much to me. So this is the one day we're selling them out here for you. And they can take, uh, Carol told me, that we can do your credit cards, we can do your cash, whatever. All the proceeds go to this church. There's no proceeds that go to me from this. So I encourage it to you. Some people, I'm really happy about this, some people are buying like three or four because they're already thinking of people they want to give it to as a gift, knowing that I'll present Jesus as clearly as I can. Uh, for their friends and neighbors. So we, I, what I did on Easter is I got home from Easter services and I went around to all our neighbors and I gave them an Easter gift of this book. And most of our neighbors don't go to church at all. And so I was, I was a little scared. Um, <laughs> I was. But I found out that the, the meanest guy on the block is now in his second reading of this book. And it, that's Bill, honey. My daughter Tara is here today. <laughs> Former cop came over to our house one time, sat down in our chair, and just broke it. And, 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 and Addison, police guy, just imagine, big guy. And then he goes, here, Rev, this broke. So uh, I figured he could do that to me at any time, too. Yeah. So anyhow, if it's of interest to you, there it is, everybody, for you. I'm also really thrilled that we presented this for you today, this little thing on families, because we're going to spend two weeks now talking about parenting. And um, listen... Um, your team, uh, Jennifer, has just done a wonderful job putting together resources, uh, tips for parents, and especially of help to you, since I only get to talk to you for about 35 minutes on parenting, a special help to you is books and resources that you can use for the different stages of life that you may be in as a parent or 
or the different stages you are in in being parented, okay? Because we all share that. We're either parents or we have, and we've all been parented. And um, I want you to know, it's really hard. Did I get an amen on that? Yeah. Parenting is really one of the toughest things going. So um, we're going to talk about it today, and then Will's going to talk about it next week as well. Um, Last thing, since so many of you ask, if you've been attending here for a while, you probably learned that in December, I realized I was told that I have a, 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 a severe liver cancer, and I have just finished four months of chemo, and so since many of you are asking how I'm doing, I feel great, my energies are good, I have few side effects. I'll do a CAT scan this week. This is kind of like a tipping point week for my uh, treatment, and we'll find out if the chemo has reduced the tumors at all. If it has, then there's a chance I can have surgery and have this massive six-inch, like 12-inch in diameter tumor taken out of my liver if they have shrunk. So if you would just pray uh, for that. Many of you have been so grateful. In fact, Marie and I often say, if we didn't have the prayers of the saints, we don't know where we'd be. Because it isn't just my physical strength I've had. We've had mental and emotional optimism through this whole thing. And that can only be from God, especially when a prognosis is, is so terminal. So thank you very much. Okay, can I start talking about parenting now? All right, let's go. Off we go into the wild blue yonder. Now, how many of you here are married? Okay, good. Now, how many of you got the book given to you by your pastor or whoever married you? Did you all get the little red book? Did, did any of you get the... I, did, I didn't get it either. I, it was a little red book on how to be a perfect parent should that happen in your life. I didn't get it. Did you get it? Doesn't look like anybody got it. Yeah. We don't get a lot of training for this thing called parenting. Uh, most of us go into it thinking, well, here we go. Just we go into marriage, and most of us got some prep on marriage, but we didn't get much prep on parenting. And so we jump into the deep waters of parenting, and uh, we didn't get the book. Okay. Uh, however, However, we do have the history of our own life of being parented, right? Okay, and some of that's good stuff, and some of that's bad stuff. Some of us were well-parented, some of us were okay-parented, some of us were poorly parented. But it's really all we take when we step into the parenting situation. That's why young newlyweds, when they decide, or God decides, that they get to have a, a child, there's usually a clash right after the baby is born. And it isn't just with diaper changing. That isn't the only area you've got to deal with. It's, it's that you each came to the parenting role bringing the story of your being parented. And that's really all you've got to bring. Now, we want to say the Bible can teach us a lot about parenting. And then as I started thinking about that, I started thinking of the great characters of the Bible and most of them were terrible parents. I mean, we, what, we, what we learn about parenting is what they did that we don't want to do. Uh, Jacob, uh, over, over the, you know, all his sons, well, he played favoritism card with Joseph like somebody, something weird. Uh, David, 
David, the great king, the great songwriter, the man who loved God, the great warrior, warrior king and nearly priest. Uh, he neglected his family, something terrible. And when there were crises, he made a lot of wrong decisions in his parenting. It, it, you can go through them all. Hannah, the whole, uh, the whole trip of great godly men and women in the scriptures. And by and large, not completely, but by and large, they didn't do the parenting thing very well. So where do we go with this? I think here. We have the wonderful privilege of God the Father himself suggesting that he's the perfect parent. See, we're, we're not only called to address God as God, we're also called to address him as Father. And when you come to know and experience Jesus Christ in your life, you are actually given the title of son or daughter. And so it's at God's invitation that we think of him as the great parent, the great father, the great mother. And so what I want to do today is talk about three of the great attributes of God as parent because we really can't use David, Hannah, and Jacob as examples. But we can use God. So here's where we're going to go today. Here's our goal for the morning. Goal is this. And I hope this is your goal as it is mine. I have three adult children uh, uh, now, but they were once toddlers and then they became adolescents, which is kind of a, a lost time for humanity. Uh, not always. And then, and then they become adults. And so uh, parenting continues in all those different venues. But I hope this is what your goal is. As I wrote this out this week, I said, that's it. The deepest longing of my life is that my children will love and serve God more than I did. If you know and love Jesus, isn't that your longing? Whether, whether like Chuck, your baby's a little bit infant, uh, or my precious daughter, Tara, uh, who is a, um, a, a wonderful adult, it's this, the longing never changes. I long for every one of my children to love and serve God more than I did. Sometimes Marie and I will say, we want our kids to stand on our shoulders and go far beyond in their love of God and far beyond in their service of God than we ever did. So I suggest that to you as the goal for your life. Whether you're a parent now or possibly will be later. Um, I suggest that to you as the real goal. Now, so we're going to use God as our example, and I'm going to suggest that there are three, if you will, attributes of God-like parenting. Okay? Here they are. God-like parenting. Number one, it is love-focused. Write that down, those of you that are taking notes. Love-focused. Two, it is goodness-driven, goodness-driven. And three, God-like parenting is discipline-committed. And I've saved the best for last, okay? You know, doing discipline. Love-focused, goodness-driven, and discipline-committed. That's what I'm going to do. Well, so let's look at God in all three of these areas. Let's let him be what he says he is, the perfect parent. All right, when it comes to the love of God, I've got some wonderful texts we're going to read for you. 
We'll pull the first one up now. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. How'd you like that to be your reputation? Jim is love. Sherry is love. God is love. Let's go to the next one. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. But focus on the first part of that. See what great love the Father has. Don't you love this word? Lavished? Whoa. I'm thinking of it like getting a, a, a cinnamon bun at Cinnabon, and they lavish that, that frosting stuff on it. It's so good for you. Uh, I have one every day. It's helping me with my cancer. Uh, <laughs> but lavish, slather. I mean, it's, it's a verb that just it is intended to really break through into our heads. God's love is beyond comprehension. Wow. It's there when we don't deserve it, isn't it? Wow. It's there for us all the time. And so as we think of being parents or becoming parents, perhaps someday this note of that our children would say, my parents lavished love on us. All right? Now, love is not permissiveness, as we'll see. Lavish love. Look at these next couple passages. I really went hog wild on passages about God love because I'm so caught up in it myself right now. Um, I love Psalms 103. I made it my own two summers ago, and I probably recite it several times a week, every single part of it. And verse 11 says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those that fear him. Now, the word fear, I, prefer, I, I actually prefer another translation. I, I use the word revere him, honor, worship, awe. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. That's quite a contrast. And then the next one. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with us. All those who fear, who revere him and his righteousness with their children's children. The text that comes just before verse 17 there is an interesting one. It says, all flesh is like grass, like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and the mortal is gone and no one remembers its place. It's a sad verse. It's kind of like, I thought I made an impact on earth. No, wind blows, uh, you're a flower in the field. Wind blows, you're gone. No one even remembers after very long. But then comes verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who revere him. God never forgets about us. So God is a loving God, and we are to be loving uh, people like him, and especially when it comes to parenting. So how's all this tie into parenting? I'm not sure. I'm, gonna, I'm taking a shot at this. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few things. If, if God is our, 
our mentor model in, in, in this lavished, uh, everlasting love, uh, what does that mean for us as parents? Number one, it means this. Our love for our children should not be conditional. It should not be performance-based. Uh, I'd love you more if you were more like your older sister. No. Uh, how about this? Uh, you should be more like your brother. No. Uh, or the story of the very proud mother who had her two elementary-aged children with her, and they were so well-behaved that somebody came up and said to this mother, you have such obedient and smart children. And the mother went, yes, thank you. And then the woman said, well, how old are they? And the mother said, well, the doctor is eight and the architect is six. In other words, projection, performance, etc. That's not, that's not godly love. Number two, godly love <laughs> is not the same as liking love. How many of you as parents have had at least one time when you didn't like a kid very much? Okay, several, a few honest people in the room. Okay. <laughs> love is not the same as like. Love, like has to do with affection, and generally we do have great affection for our children. Uh, I would say it dominates, but there are times, and it can start very young, and it can go to right through adolescence, and you can worry about your kids and choices they make as adults, and you go, boy, I really, really love him, but I don't like him much right now, et cetera, et cetera. It's not the same thing. The kind of love that we're talking about of God's love is a love that is self-giving, that is never quitting. In fact, I call agape love never quitting love. And agape is the Greek word for this self-giving love. Never quitting love, even when your likeness is saying, forget it, I'm out of here, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's a love that goes beyond like. Third, it's a love that has the capacity to forgive and to forgive your children. You say, really? Is that necessary? Yeah, no one can hurt you more than your kids. Why? Because you love them so much. And that means they can hurt you the most. And there will be times, because they are broken humans, just as you are a broken human, that that's going to take place. And so the kind of love of the love of God is the love of Jesus on the cross, where he looks at the people that put him there and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they have done. The love of God is so great that he will give you the capacity to forgive even when your heart has been broken by those precious ones that you love the most. Finally, it is a love that sets up boundaries. We'll talk more about this in a minute for behavior. It is a love that sets up boundaries for behavior because where there are no boundaries, uh, it means that children will cross them. And if they don't have boundaries when they're young and as they're growing up, they will presume they have none as they get older and all hell will break loose. So loving is discipline. And we'll talk about that a little more later. And finally, love is fun. And, and I just want to say to you, some of us, and I've had this problem, this, this was one of my problems, taking parenting so seriously, M Marie one time just had to pull me to the side and said, you just need to chill out. 
Because I have a fun-loving side. I think my daughter would say I have a fun-loving side. But I could get in kind of that critical parent mode all the time. Uh-oh, the doctor at age nine is in trouble. The architect, uh, da, da, da. everything should be perfect. I got to do this. I travel too much, so I got to be a great parent when I'm home. And man, what my kids really needed is some fun with their dad. Have fun with your children. God love is a love that joys in life, joys in creation, and, and celebrates children, and celebrates family. And so maybe your next act is to just do something that's really fun. Incidentally, Jennifer told me, our children's director, before I came in, she says, Lon, I have a gift for every parent who's come today. And she showed me what it is. And it's all about fun. And you're going to really like it. And I'm not telling you what it is. Okay? But because we want you to celebrate your love for your children with fun, you're going to get a nice gift today when you leave. Those of you that aren't parents that even want to be, just say, Lon said I could have one because someday I might be. Okay? And then she'll run out of them in this group, and I won't care um, (laughs) about the second service. All right. So love. Love, 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 love focused, the deep, self-giving, never quitting love of God. That's what he has for us, and he asks us to bring that to our children. All right, let's go to number two, goodness driven, goodness driven. Ah, I love these verses. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste. It even uses that notion of that sense. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he, the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at this next verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then I went to a passage that gave you eight descriptors of goodness. The word for good is often translated virtue, virtue. And God is perfectly good, Therefore, perfectly virtuous. And that, that should make you happy because God could be utterly loving but still have a lot of goodness problems. That's part of what my kids had to face in me. I loved them really, really well most of the time, but I had several goodness problems. Worry, doubt, fear, busyness, etc., etc., etc. But not our Lord. He is perfectly good as he perfectly loves. And so before you even think of this in context of parenting, think of it in the context of your relationship with him. Perfectly loving and perfectly good in all that he is. means a lot to me. Hope it does to you. Because sometimes things in life happen to us and we think, How can God be good if he's allowed this? But by faith and the promises of God, I believe that everything that is allowed to happen to me is going to be used for good 
by my good God who wouldn't allow anything to happen that his goodness wasn't behind. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it sure does to me. He's not only loving, he's absolutely good. And so, here you go, parents. If you didn't, parents, if you didn't come weighed down today with not being a very good parent, I should pretty much have that locked in for you before you go. Because I'm saying, you know, you've got to be like God in this thing. Okay? Hold on. I promise there's help. Okay. So the goodness thing. Um, what I really want to talk about in parenting here is that we parent by example. I have a quote from the, the fine evangelist author Francis Chan, and he wrote this. He says, we paint a picture of God by the lives that we live, by the goodness that God is placing in us. And I don't know, parents, if you've had this issue, but uh, I certainly have, and that is one of two tendencies. It seems that we either fall off center by neglecting our children or by idolizing our children. The two extremes. Now, what do you mean by the neglect? Would, would I purposely neglect my children? No. But when my work life captured more of my heart so that my children got not the best in me, but what was left of me, then in a way it was a, it was a kind of neglect other priorities, other purposes. Sometimes it's either, even other priorities for your children, wanting them to be something so badly that you don't receive them as they are. Yeah. And that's a goodness that we need God to place in us so that, so that we don't neglect and certainly that we don't idolize. My goodness, it's a little scary. And, and this idolization of children tends to attach itself to uh, socioeconomic categories as well. Those who have more tend to give it all to their kids. And um, I just want to say, it is dangerous. It is dangerous to overgive and overdo and overprovide and think that you're deeply loving your children when in essence you're projecting a quality of life that they probably won't be able to live as adults. And, and I'm not saying that we don't care for them. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be in one sport. But if they're in 10, you need to think about it. And so beware of that. Because the, um, the affection of parenting, the deep love you have for your children, so great, you really do want to give everything. Only to realize that by giving everything, you may be taking away from them the best thing. Statistics are showing, according to what I read this week, that, that kids that are over-parented in the sense of privilege, privileges being given tend to reject God in adulthood. Why? Because God asks that he be the number one in their lives. And they're only used to being the number one in life. So, how do we do this in stages? Okay, on this goodness thing, uh, stages as a child. Just understand this. Children, childhood are egocentric, and you should expect that. They don't know how to be any other way. Um, so you want to continue to verbalize love to them. We have a two-year-old granddaughter now, and she's very egocentric. In fact, anything that she gets, she immediately attaches it to her name. Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey. 
uh, Aubrey. And, and the parents are going, well, kind of, yeah. Uh, well, it can't be helped. That, that's the stage that they are in and everything is about them. Uh, egocentric, uh, they're parent-focused, and as an infant and a toddler, that's okay. So continue to verbalize love, let, make sure there's physical affection, and even at those stages, you've got to set boundaries. Uh, uh, we'll talk about more of that in the discipline thing. But we have learned... Uh, uh, that we don't have the only grandchild born without the taint of original sin. We thought we did. We thought we did. But it's not there now. And even as grandparents, <laughs> we have to help her catch some boundaries. Like, no, that's not Aubrey's. Oh, Aubrey's. Aubrey's. No, grandpa's. Grandpa's. And on it goes. Okay. So how about an adolescent stage? How do you deal with uh, be good this goodness thing. Well, realize that when, when your kids become adolescents, they're going to be peer-focused and therefore not parent-focused. And if you haven't entered that stage yet, you'll find that it's extremely hard as a parent because you go from being the center to now being on the side. And not only that, some adolescents go through a phase where they don't like their parents at all. Not all. Not all. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm not going to start talking about which of my children did and which didn't. <laughs> Don't want to go there. Um, but the best one is here today. Oh, no. <laughs> and what did I just do? I just did performance-driven parenting. You see what I did? Um, but it, it, it gets so bad that not only do they find their identity only in others, but sometimes there's a turn and there's a real distaste for you. Uh, expect that to be there. Now the danger is when that happens is you try to befriend them. Don't befriend your kids as adolescents. You're not their friend, you're their parent. And so the necessity of boundaries is never more important. Boundaries and consequences. More on that in a minute. And then how about adult children in this whole thing of goodness? Well, there's not much that I can teach Tara now. My, my precious daughter who's here. But I can be an example. I can be an example of God's goodness in me, his virtue. I, I, I can continue to verbalize my affection for my ch adult children. I can offer advice, but I no longer have control. I no longer direct. I can offer. And that's the way that I express God's goodness to them. All right, let's go to the third one now, discipline. Discipline committed. Discipline committed. All right, the verses we're going to read are from Hebrews uh, chapter 12, 5 through 11. Listen to this, everybody. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastens, another word for that is scourges, everyone he accepts as his son. Next, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by the Father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers, 
not all of us, mothers, fathers, who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us, our parents, for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. (laughs) If you're receiving discipline, it ain't pleasant. If you have to give discipline, it ain't pleasant. It does, it's not pleasant. It's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, and notice the word, trained by it. Discipline from God in our lives is a great good love act of the perfect Father because we need to be trained by discipline so that more righteousness and peace covers our own lives. It's it God at work at all the time, uh, disciplining us. So if God does that with us, we know that we are to be involved with it with our children. All right, a couple of directives on that before I give some suggestions, however. Discipline of children. Number one, discipline to the level of the sin. Discipline to the level of the sin. Uh, uh, the child that refuses, the, the adolescent child that refuses to take the garbage out on Tuesday night and then uses the excuse, or I'll never get my homework done. All right, so you've got to deal with that, right? Well, here, what you don't want to say, all right, you're not going to do this. Three weeks grounding, no senior prom, no graduation present. In fact, move out. All right, that would be what we call discipline not level to the weight of the sin okay so seek to find discipline equivalent to the level of the misconduct secondly discipline to the level of comprehension comprehension Uh, aubrey doesn't understand certain things yet so let's imagine that she takes her food walks into our family room where we have fresh new carpet and she looks at her grandpa in the eye and she just turns it over and drops it on the ground and then stands there and looks because <laughs> they do stuff like this yeah i remember one of our children perfect perfect child no sin whatsoever marie was feeding her squash one day and that little spoon goes in the mouth and then the, then the, then the child looked right at her and went <laughs> all over her mother and just just opened her eyes in defiance yeah okay all right so, but, but realize, if, if you provide a discipline, so, so imagine this, that after Aubrey dumps her food on the ground, I go in and I get the receipt for how much this carpet cost. I said, sit down, Aubrey, let's talk about this. All right. It cost $1,500. We chose not to get the Scotch guard, okay? That would have been an extra 200 That money was going towards your college scholarship. But you're not getting it now, I'll tell you that. Now, how would she respond at two years old? Aubrey, 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 all right? Okay, so stupid illustration, contrast to make a point, okay? Make sure that your discipline is to the level of what they can comprehend. And then third, make sure that discipline is done dispassionately. Dispassionately. 
it's so easy to get mad. And um, I am not a saint in that one at all. And when we get mad, we sometimes react and we can prescribe disciplines that come out of our anger and not our reasoning. What I'm saying is, as you give your child a timeout, take one yourself and ask the Lord to guide you as to what would be the proper discipline for the infraction at hand. Work diligently that way. Okay? So there's some things. Let's talk about the stages now of discipline. Uh, at childhood, you can, uh, in, when they're little, there's rewards, there's withdrawal of things, there's timeouts, spanking with a question mark. Every couple has to discern whether they're going to use spanking or not. Um, and, and, and you have to be in agreement as a couple. You, it has to be done dispassionately, meaning you're in control, and you should not use weapons, items that cause bruising and things like that. So sometimes pain is appropriate to bring to children so that they learn by such behavior, pain, not, pain comes. And that helps them, especially when they're smaller, to want to avoid wrong things because they cause pain. I won't go into it any further. There are people that know a lot more about it than I did. We, we used spanking, um, but I would say in, in not very often. And Marie did it 99% of the time because I would just cry. Okay. <laughs> or be gone. Uh, and when it was necessary, and I think all of our kids are doing just fine. Thank you. So you have to work on that. Adolescence. Remind you that you're not their friend. And when they disobey, they need a parent, not a buddy. Um, adolescents' brains are not fully developed. They can have all the physical characteristics of an adult, but MRI studies show us that the, uh, the, uh, the development of the brain is not fully done until the mid-20s, and it's the cognitive side of reasoning that comes in last. Okay? And so just know they may look like an adult, but they can't behave like an adult yet. And, and you have to be there. Um, withdraw privileges, cell phones, social media, grounding, etc., etc. How about as adults? I, no, you don't. You, there's no discipline you bring to your adult kids unless they're living in your house, which is perfectly, I think, appropriate. Um, so then you need to have house rules that, that people live by if you have adult children living with you. But more, your role really becomes one of advice when you're asked for advice, or if you're not asked for advice as adult parents, you can offer advice, but it's their, it's, their, it's their deal whether they're going to accept it or not. So, especially as they get into their later 20s and, and early 30s and such. All right, well, my time is up, and um, what do I want to say? I want to say this. Parenting may be about the toughest job on the planet, But it's also one of the most wondrous things on the planet. And because we as parents are broken people, we will parent with brokenness. Therefore, seek God with all your mind, heart, and strength. And in your prayers, ask that the Lord God would give you His love his goodness, 
and his right discipline as you raise these precious ones. And finally, everybody, remember how much he loves you. Remember his perfect goodness on your behalf. And remember that even when you're in godly discipline, it's that the fruits of righteousness and holiness and peace will come to your life. Amen?